a new CEO was taking control of a, a struggling company. He was there to trim the fat. He was there to, to make a name for himself, to make a splash. And uh, knowing that, that that board of directors had him in their crosshairs and, and they were waiting to see if he was going to turn a profit from a struggling company. And, and he had just met with his managers and he was talking about how we need to to uh, trim down this workforce. We got too many people here that, that are just here to get a couple paychecks and, and take off to something else. And, he, and he was, uh, some of his managers were saying, hey, we got to be careful with this. You know, there's HR, there's, there's uh, all these different uh, protocols we got to go through. You know, you got to have a file on somebody and, and give them a formal warning and things like that. And he was like, you know what, I don't care. I'll pay them myself to leave. And so he was walking through, he was, he was visiting one of the plants one day of the company, and, and he noticed this guy just kind of leaning against the wall and just standing there with his arms crossed. And, and the CEO with some of the, the manager of that plant walking with him, he, he walks up to him and he says, hey, what are you doing here? He says, I'm just waiting to get paid. He says, you know what, how much money do you make a week? And the guy says, about 300 bucks. He says, here, I'll tell you what. He pulls out his checkbook, writes, says, I'll pay you for two weeks to get out of here. So he writes out a check for 600 bucks, rips it off, and the guy says, deal. He took off, feeling like, hey, this is a win-win. So the CEO kind of puts his uh, checkbook back in his pocket, saying, happy that he kind of made good on his, his warning. And he, and he looks around and he says, anybody know what just happened here? Some guy calls from the plant floor and says, yeah, you just tipped the pizza guy 600 bucks. <laughs> this morning, we're looking at how Jesus made a splash, but in a different way, in a different way than what we were expecting. This guy thought he was going to make a splash and he was going to do it his way. Jesus did it in the way that was agreed upon by the triune God, before the foundation of the world, everything headed toward his sacrifice of himself for the sins of mankind. We're looking how Jesus is God's world champion wrapped in a manger. This isn't really a Christmas message here this morning, but we turn the corner here as we begin to look at how Jesus was in, in, in his life in his person, in his death, and in his resurrection. He was the fulfillment of what the Old Testament proclaimed that he would be. And next week we'll turn that corner fully as we look at Jesus in his coming, as he did as an infant, was a fulfillment of Scripture in how he came, in where he came, in when he came. So we turn here to... uh, Verse 15 of Matthew 12, and we read this. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. What he was aware of was the fact that the Pharisees had decided, you know what, there's no reasoning with this guy. We just, he needs to be destroyed. His ministry needs to be taken care of. His, his legacy needs to be wiped out. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant. 
whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. With Jesus' unique approach to becoming the Savior of the world, we should learn to yield to Jesus' right to carry out his plan. We read here that, that many followed him, uh, we, we, and, and, and he healed them. And yet at the same time, he ordered them not to make him known. We see from some, so many other passages, as well as this, that Jesus stayed on gospel mission. This may, means that he ministered in an intentional way that didn't keep him from his death and his resurrection. That was his aim. His aim in everything, was it wasn't a matter of, well, you know, maybe I can accomplish this without dying. He stayed on track for the salvation of mankind. This is what it means for us to be on gospel mission as well. That no matter what it is in our life to be thinking, how can I be used by God in this situation for the sake of sharing the gospel with my life? This is what it meant in, 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 for, for Jesus to be thinking and looking toward his death and his resurrection. As I, as I mentioned before, this was decided by the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from before the beginning of time that Jesus would redeem a people for God's own possession. When it says that he ordered them, these people that he healed, not to make them known, they were strongly warned not to tell others about him being the Messiah. His, his healing ministry as a, a behind-the-scenes servant was what he chose to do at this point, rather than the grand spectacle. This behind-the-scenes work was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 42 as the suffering servant, Savior. And so that's why Matthew brings up the fact this was in fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. You've probably heard of a tactical withdrawal. A tactical withdrawal is a military maneuver that, that doesn't continue to press forward trying to win a victory at that moment, but, but pulls back. It's a deliberate retreat in order to gain strategic advantage. It can be often used by a military uh, group to regroup, to resupply, to reposition their forces in order to launch a new attack for greater advantage. You can think of um, uh, the situation at Dunkirk. The situation at Dunkirk on May 26, 1940 involved a, um, a wide array of, of sea vessels that the British government announced were needed in order to allow 330,000 troops that were eventually saved to, to, be, to be pulled back off of the main continent of Europe because they were definitely going to lose this battle against the Nazis. And, and so Dunkirk was a tactical, uh, tactical withdrawal, 
of these troops so that the greater goal of winning World War II could be accomplished. God's glory comes from his plan being accomplished. And what Jesus shows us here is, is a tactical withdrawal, whereas mankind, and even uh, there were times where even his own family were telling him, you know what? If you're supposed to be such a big deal, why don't you go out and make yourself known? But the reason why he didn't was because he was on gospel mission to save people by his death and his resurrection. This often came through more obscure and quiet ministry rather than the big splash that we would typically expect it to be. But moving forward here, I want you to also be challenged here to yield to Jesus as God's perfect judge. Yield to Jesus as God's perfect judge. This is, this is part of what's referred to in this fulfillment of Isaiah 42 where it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Jesus fits the bill for being the perfect servant savior and the judge of all mankind. Jesus has been established, as I mentioned, by the triune God to be the servant savior of Isaiah 42. And these statements are quoting with with some liberties of the Holy Spirit this prophecy. And they'll also uh, um, enclose They're close to the statements made by the Father at Jesus' baptism and also his transfiguration. Meaning, if you recall, God the Father announcing, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descending as, as a dove on Jesus in the inauguration of his ministry. He is the perfect servant Savior and is well pleasing to God. And his ministry is inaugurated by the descending of the Holy Spirit. This is what's being referred to and was being foretold hundreds of years earlier. Then it goes on to say, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This is referring to Jesus announcing judgment over the Gentile rulers that had been in control. Part of Jesus' ministry as the servant savior is to bring judgment on the rebellious nations that were expected to seek after God. You may recall Paul in his message to the, the people of Athens in Acts 17 that he refers to the fact that God set the boundaries of mankind so that they might seek him. And this is referring to here how Jesus, in his, in his ministry, not just while he walked this earth prior to his death and his resurrection, but also as the final judge of all mankind, that he would proclaim justice or proclaim judgment on the nations that though he could be sought and be found, not being far from them, refused to do so. And those leaders that even got in the way of it. You know, it's been said, death is the great equalizer. I, I love this, um, 
this quote by a man named Kilroy J. Oldster. What an awesome name, right? <laughs> Kilroy J. Oldster. He says this, death is the great equalizer of human beings. Death is the boundary that we need to measure the precious texture of our lives. All people owe a death. Jesus' ministry here amounts to the idea that he is the, the perfect God-man to hold man accountable. No one is going to avoid Jesus as judge. No matter how powerful a person they are, all men and women owe a death. Well, Hebrews 9 adds that some, something to that statement about every person eventually dying, and it says this. In Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Not only is death the great equalizer, but so is accountability to Jesus, the judge. We can learn from Jesus' deep trust in the Father's plan. And just as he withdrew in order to accomplish his bigger plan of salvation, we can trust God and humbly wait for his deliverance. And we can care for those that we interact with by holding out the gospel in hopes that they too will escape judgment. We escape ju the judgment of Jesus by receiving Jesus as Savior. He's one or the other for every person. With all this in mind, we should also yield to Jesus as the unusual justice warrior. When he talks about justice here, it's a little bit different. Prior, it's talking about judgment of the, the uh, ruling nations. But we continue on uh, with Matthew referring back to Isaiah 42, where it says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. What we read here is that, that Jesus, he will bring justice to victory. Or I like the way that the New Living Translation puts this. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. If you're, if you're uh, reading along with our, our reading plan, you'd read Isaiah, uh, Psalm 37 this morning. In verse 28, it says this. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Jesus took the unusual path to victory, the unusual path to the victory for justice' sake. Interestingly, all the verbs here that are quoted from Isaiah 42, they're in the negative, describing what Jesus didn't do, what he wasn't like. I think they describe how his progress toward ultimate victory took an unexpected path. It wasn't like what other leaders would do. First, we see that Jesus is an unusual justice warrior in that he didn't demand to be heard. This is what's meant when he says he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. The word quarrel means to wrangle. 
He won't fight. He won't wrestle to be heard. When he talks about crying aloud, it's to utter a loud sound with a, with a harsh uh, a shrill to it, to cry out, to cry out for help, to scream excitedly. Jesus was not going to do that, and he did not do that. As God's anointed Savior, Jesus wouldn't fight for his right to speak or complain about being misunderstood. If you're like me, you Monty Python fans might think of the uh, the peasant uh, is calling out, come see the violence inherited in the system. Help, help, I'm being repressed. We don't have very many Monty Python fans, I see. <laughs> this wasn't Jesus. This wasn't his approach. I'm being repressed. It's an also, it is also an eerie warning about rejecting the rejection of the religious leaders that would be answered by a withdrawal from them of the one who had the words of life that they needed to hear. This wasn't a move of passive, aggressive vindictiveness on Jesus' part, but rather a humble involvement in the plan of the triune God, continuing on to the cross. A quote that's been stated in a lot of different ways is this, do not mistake my kindness for weakness. And this would be true of Jesus as well. I want to share with you a, from a, a great quote from a great website that I want to encourage you to, to go to um, if you have questions. It's got, called Got Questions, which what a great name. GotQuestions.org says this about this passage. We expect most people with special abilities to run to the nearest spotlight, hire a promoter, or in some way strive for as much fame as possible. But Jesus was not like that. In fulfillment of prophecy, he did not shout or raise a ruckus. He worked quietly, at times purposefully, avoiding the public eye to accomplish God's will. End quote. But you know, there's a haunting warning here in this state, these statements about Jesus. It's a warning to the world and to believers in this idea that Jesus did not demand to be heard. For unbelievers, for those who have not received Christ as their Savior, repented and come to believe in Him as the only Savior who has paid the penalty for our sins, there is a warning that it is, impossible, that it is possible to ignore the Holy Spirit. Soon in Matthew, we will read the warning to the Pharisees about the unforgivable sin. It's referred to as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This means refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction or denying what the Holy Spirit is making clear, that Jesus is the only Savior. It is an unforgivable sin because without receiving Christ, as one's Savior, one cannot be forgiven of sin. But for believers, we're in a different, uh, it's different in that we've received the message that the Holy Spirit has spoken, that Jesus is our Savior that in paying the penalty for our sins. We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but yet we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench 
the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We should hear the warning here as well. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Those that do not want to hear his voice, he will oblige. We can allow our hearts to become callous to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this should concern us. For us as believers, we need to take warning as well that Jesus did not demand to be heard. Secondly, we see that Jesus is an unusual justice warrior in that he didn't pounce on the weak or the repentant. This is what is meant when it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. When he talks about a bruised reed here, that, it's kind of like an odd thing for us. But, but think about um, like in, 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 uh, in Asia and, and how bamboo is used. Sometimes uh, an entire scaffolding on the side of a building could be made with, with pieces of bamboo. And as they're going through, and think of the bamboo as kind of being like that reed. They come to a, a bamboo piece that's been bruised. It's been kind of buckled over a little bit. It would be useless. It would be like, just cut that one down and toss it out. Again, uh, the website Got Questions, and, I, and I'm, I'm quoting this because I want to encourage you toward a website like this. It says, to the world, a bruised reed is a worthless thing. It has no power, no stability, no purpose. It is good for nothing but to be cut down and discarded. So in the world, there are many bruised people, individuals who have been wounded emotionally, spiritually, or physically. They are feeble, and to most of the world, they are dispensable, but not to God. The prophecy that Jesus has fulfilled is that he, a, the bruised reed he would not break. It's a prophecy that speaks of Jesus' tender, compassionate care for the weak and the downtrodden. And the way that he cares for the bruised reed is to save them. The man with the withered hand was a bruised reed. We just read about a few weeks ago, and Jesus returned him to the full use of his hand. The woman caught in adultery was a bruised weed, reed in John 8. And Jesus protected her from the strong and from stoning and forgave her. The woman with the issue of blood from Matthew 9 was a bruised reed. And Jesus exalted her for her faith and restored her to full health. Jesus does not throw away what's been bruised. He offers them salvation. Repent and believe in Christ. You know, have you ever um, snuffed out a candle? You might blow it out, but have you snuffed it out? You, you ever seen people that they'll, they'll lick their fingers and, and squeeze the wick of the candle? Well, I don't know if you're aware, aware of this, but you can, you can relight a candle from its smoke. Okay, you can kind of see a little... Uh, picture of that here. You can, you can relight a candle just from its smoke because if you blow it out, there's still potential for fire in the wick. And this is what's being referred to here, that, that a, a, um, 
a smoldering wick Jesus would not quench. He didn't pounce on the weak or the repentant. The broken and contrite, repentant sinner would find Jesus to be gentle and lowly of heart, not taking advantage of their brokenness brokenness, or snuffing them out. I knew an insecure pastor that I used to describe to Kelly in this way, and I felt sorry for him for this reason. He shuns strength, and he pounces on weakness. He shuns strength, and he pounces on weakness. Jesus was not that type of teacher or savior. And he is not that way with us when we walk in relationship with him either. He welcomes the broken heart. He welcomes the contrite spirit. And he lifts it in repentance. I, I like, again, what Got Questions says about this. And, you know, all I typed into Got Questions, and I just want to encourage you to do this. What does these verses mean in Matthew? And it had such a nice application. You may be a bruised reed or a smoldering wick in some way today. You may be pressed down with the troubles of this world. You may be struggling with doubt and fear. You may be feeble and disheartened and ready to break. But know this, Jesus cares. He will have pity for the brokenhearted, compassion for the humble, affection for the patient, and healing for the afflicted. Come to him in faith humbly trusting his strength, and find that he is gracious to all. Again, what we read in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 37, which is a part of our reading plan for today. I love this statement. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. God cares for his children. Thirdly, we see Jesus as an unusual justice warrior in that he kept the end game of the church in mind. This is what it talked about when the fact he says, in his name, the Gentiles will hope. That's us, folks. I mean, we might have some Jewish people here as a part of God's people. Praise the Lord. The church is made up of all kinds of people. Jew and Gentile, like basically all people fall into those two categories. Jesus kept the end game of his church in mind. In the end, though God's plan would involve Jesus' rejection, it would result in salvation being available for every kind of person. The combination of all kinds of people into the body of Christ is the church. Yield to Jesus as the unusual justice warrior. You know, I... Um, in one of my trips to Albania, uh, two of my trips, actually, I, I got to spend time with a pastor friend of mine there named Clody. And, and it, was, it was neat to learn and observe um, Clo Pastor Clody. And you got to understand, Albania went through some of the harshest communist control. Uh, I met a man that spent, uh, I think it was 12 years in prison because he was standing in a bread line and he complained and said, the bread is stale. And someone turned him in. 
because of, of this time under a totalitarian state that was kind of controlled by power brokers. It was easy for pastors to draw off of the sinful cultural practices to get things done. They might just be uh, falling into the temptation of enjoying, uh, enjoying the power of, a pastor, of being a pastor could offer as well. This might look like the pastors or the elders acting like power brokers because people coming out of that culture of communism, that's what they would respond to. And if they wanted to get things done, then they would kind of have this uh, almost mob, mobster mentality of, hey, you want anything done around here, you've got to come to me. What this might look like is, is uh, if a church was supplying something to a family in the church, someone might volunteer to deliver it. And I remember, because um, one of the trips that we, we took uh, to this church in Albania, our church was uh, supplying for some baby cribs to be made by, uh, some of the, for some of the new parents in the church. And the person that made the cribs, he was like, oh, I'll deliver them. And I remember Pastor Clody saying, no, that's okay. We'll take care of it. We'll, ha we'll, we'll make sure it gets there. And I was kind of asking him, so, so why not let that guy deliver it? And he said, you got to understand that in our culture, for him to deliver it, he is starting up his kind of walking up the rungs of kind of being the big man uh, by, by uh, being the one to, to bring the gift he would say it's not good for them. They're trying to make themselves seem like a big shot. What I knew is that also, because Claudie didn't play this game, he also wasn't respected as much as he could be. But that wasn't important to him as much as that his flock would thank God and respect God. I've seen this in America as well. Um, I, I remember... Uh, um, a couple uh, telling me, you know, I, I got I got to go listen to preaching somewhere else because I kind of need somebody to yell at me. So if we are we going to stop and say, well, okay, so we got to change, we got to we got to do what people want, we got to look, you know, try to supply what people are are expecting. No, I'm not a yeller. It's just how it is. I remember working with the chairman of the of an elder board that uh, they had a benevolence fund, meaning, you know, they would pay for things that people needed and things like that. It was a checkbook in his pocket. And I would watch him kind of walk up to somebody and say, hey, we understand you're having some trouble keeping your bills. Here, let me write you out a check here. You know, it's a church checkbook, but he made sure to keep it in his pocket. And he'd tear it off and give it to him and said, don't worry about paying that back. I'm sure there's something that you'll be able to do around here. It's kind of the culture of things. Jesus didn't play that game. We're not called to play that game. Jesus was an unusual justice warrior. Clody is an example for me of pastoring like Jesus. The fact is that if we want to see people change in the way that Jesus can change them, we better not rely on manipulation or worldly practices to change people. Jesus changes people, and he does so in his way. We need to make sure that what we're giving is Jesus in every opportunity to change people. Give people the straight truth of the scripture. 
Take the time, if you got to, to look it up. If you don't know the, the address, uh, do a quick search on your phone. Say, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know exactly where this is found, but if you'll just wait, give them the scripture. Give the straight truth of the gospel. I love the gospel acronym, G-O-S-P-E-L. God created us to be in relationship with him. Our sins separated us from God. Sin cannot be paid for by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in Christ can have relationship with God. And life that's eternal begins now and lasts forever. Warn people that they need, will meet Jesus one day, either as their Savior or as their judge. Have we, as we close thinking about communion here this morning, I've referenced several times here that Jesus was on gospel mission. And, and, and here in our passage, we see how that pops up, that, that here we have people that have been that either... Um, Pharisees that the concern is, okay, are they going to speed up God's timetable here? Or we got people that are being healed by Jesus that are so excited, and he's saying, don't tell anybody. Because he was had a gospel mission in mind, and that involved the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood for the express purpose of paying for the penalty of our sin. And that's what we, refer, we, we recall, we remember here this morning. It, it was Jesus inaugurated the new covenant that was, was foretold. So, so, so much was foretold about Christ in the Old Testament. And one of those is the new covenant foretold in Jeremiah 31. That God would make a new covenant with his people. And that covenant would be such that he would put his spirit within them. And he would write his laws on their hearts. And no longer will, will people have to say, know the Lord, for all of his people will know him. And, and this is why there in the upper room, we can read in Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the, his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we remember Christ's sacrifice, with bread, and with the fruit of the vine. We recall that he has opened up the opportunity by the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood for us to walk and live in covenant with him, to give us the opportunity to actually have personal relationship with him. That's what it meant when it says to put his spirit within us. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, that means His Spirit is within you. And you are welcome to these tables. I'm going to pray here and encourage you as, as um, our worship team 
sings through two songs. I encourage you to go to one of the three tables and take the elements. You can take them back to your seat if you prefer and take them in your own time. Or you can stand there and, and partake of it there. But I, I encourage you to remember the sacrifice of Christ that has been made for you. For you to be able, though bruised, though smoldering, to be healed by him, to have relationship with God. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for our gentle Savior. Gentle all the way through to the end. Having all the power to call down all of your angels. Having all the power at his fingertips to do whatever he wished. He allowed himself to be that sacrifice. He allowed his body to be broken in ways that we cannot imagine. He allowed his blood to be spilt as our final sacrifice. The perfect Savior for sinful people. Lord, we cannot get away from the fact that we sin. That we are separated from you. Left to ourselves, we run our life into the ditch over and over again. But a bruised reed you will not break. A broken and contrite heart you welcome. A repentant will that wants relationship with you rather than our own sinful ways you embrace. And it is all because it was purchased for us in Christ's death. And so we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to remember that again. We pray, Lord God, that it would change us a little bit more and bring you great glory. And Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.